This is the Darcy Drill Podcast, episode number four. Today, my guest is Corey Morgan, opinion editor and host of Triggered at the Western Standard. We'll be talking about the deteriorating state of downtown Calgary and its public transit system. Welcome to the show, Corey Morgan. How are you, sir? Very good, thanks. Good to talk to you, Darcy. Yeah, it's it's been a while. I'm uh, probably well, almost. Has it been a year? I don't know. I think it might be. I, I think, it, or at least it was near summer when you came up to the studio there. Uh, well, quite a while back at the Standard downtown, and yeah, I haven't seen you since. Yeah, well, actually, I think I was on your show once since then. I, we did it remotely, and uh, but yeah, that time. I came to the studio, I was nursing a terrible hangover because I was <laughs> out prematurely celebrating a Donald Trump victory, uh, which turned out to change in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah, it didn't end uh, as a lot of people anticipated. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the reason I wanted to have you on was I've been following you on Twitter and your work at the Western Standard, and you've been fairly vocal about the situation in downtown Calgary and on the transit system in Calgary, the level of crime, uh, open drug use, uh, is getting fairly rampant. Uh, I know you've had some instances yourself, maybe share one of those or, um, another, another story of something that you've heard, uh, and and just an overall, just an overall uh, high level of what the situation is like in downtown Calgary and on our uh, C trains and transit system. Sure, like I, I don't. If people don't need to go downtown, they don't. So I, I, that's part of why I've been as vocal as I am because I don't think a lot of people understand just what's happened and and how bad it's gotten down there. One incident I'll relate, and I, I did write on it last fall because it shook me up very badly. I, I encountered an overdose uh, at a park just outside of our offices where I was heading in there. It was a young man. Uh, a naloxone was applied, but it, it, it I didn't stay for the, the full length. As soon as the paramedics got there, I left, but I, I'm pretty sure he didn't make it. And it really just shows how, how wasteful and, and, and it really drove home to me, you know, seeing face to face how horrible this is. It's, it's killing young people. So, I mean, I'm not trying to dehumanize when I bring up these issues or feeling, you know, that these are, are people that should be dismissed or taken care of. I, this is a really, really big problem in that sense. But the other people that have to be remembered are the people commuting downtown, living downtown, working downtown and on public transit and people in the throes of addiction, they need help. They need treatment. But at the same time, we can't pretend they're harmless. They're, they're, they're not in their right minds. Uh, often uh, they, they do resort to crime to try and feed the, the addiction. They get violent with each other quite often. They can be very aggressive or they can be just, uh, you know, very wired up and, and just frightening for a lot of people because they seem out of control. And city transit basically turned into a haven for them. Ridership went down over the pandemic by more than half. And Calgary, for people not familiar with, has essentially an honor system on city transit. It, you, you buy your ticket, you get on there, and if you happen to be randomly checked for a ticket, you, you know, and you don't have one, you can get a fine. But I've never been checked for a ticket, so it's very, very random. 
and and this has led again just to basically they, they've turned into de facto uh well the, the stations turned into homeless shelters people were sleeping in them making a camp in with them uh so in response to that the city shut the shelter shut the stations down rather than enforce uh and then on the trains they would just ride them they would consume while on the trains they would do deals on the trains you, you wouldn't have to because I wrote stories on it, I'd take a ride just to get the fodder, and it's not like I'd have to spend a whole day to find a couple of incidents. One ride from the west side of the city to the downtown, and you would see people passed out. You would see people consuming drugs. You would see people getting aggressive. It's just commonplace. And uh, it it just needs to be – well, for starters, we just have to admit it's happening, and then we can start working towards solutions. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I've seen pictures uh, – you know, of, you know, people smoking crack on the C train, you know, I've seen, obviously, I don't spend a lot of time downtown, but when I am down there, you do see, it seems like a lot more uh, homeless people, people who, on first glance, I would suspect are addicted and homeless and, and having a lot of trouble. Now, do you think a lot of this has happened since the pandemic or is somehow related to the pandemic and lockdowns and everything else? I, I think that the pandemic's exacerbated. If you look at the numbers for addiction and then uh, the overdoses, it was already on a sharp rise before the pandemic hit us. So uh, the fentanyl has been the big real new player on the scene that that's gotten a lot of people hooked. It's terribly dangerous. It's potent. It's plentiful. So that, that's led to a lot of people in, in bad distress. And then I think with the pandemic emptying the downtown, maybe they were always there, but you could see them a lot more, more clearly when nobody was there. Or also part of it was that this was an area you could kind of take over. You could make a community. I mean, there, there, there's still people. They need somewhere to go. And, and that's what happened is, is they've settled in down there in, in much larger numbers than we'd ever seen before. And the, and the solution, of course, is just, I don't know the solution. It's, it's Every city is dealing with this. It's very complicated. How do you deal with so many people addicted right now? How do you deal with the associated crime? The main thing I've been making noise about, though, is at least we do have to move them off of the inappropriate places. And that's on the public transit and in the stations because it's just adding one problem to another problem right now. Yeah, absolutely. I know, like you say, it's happening a lot of places. The numbers in British Columbia are horrifying as far as fentanyl overdoses. And, you know, I was in uh, BC uh, in April and went to visit my grandmother, who's in an old folks' home. And, and uh, the little park beside her, there was, uh, you know, homeless people and uh, setting up camp. And, you know, they were, and, and not only that, but with, with a very, uh, you know, the, uh, a lack of respect for other people in the community. Uh, be, you know, one example is they were burning garbage. There was black smoke coming out of a fire near one of these little encampments, and the uh, smell of burning garbage is wafting over towards the old folks' home that my grandmother lives in. Um, so there, and I get the uh, a person wants to have sympathy for these people. I know you do. Um, but at the same time, it also comes down to a question of property rights. I mean, there are taxpayers who are expecting some level of law enforcement and, uh, 
protection. And if, you know, the taxpayers are paying for that park, um, you know, it seems like they would have a more rightful claim to how things are ran in that park than these people setting up camp there. It's difficult. I mean, in the spots where there's, there's encampments and where they're sitting, uh, there, there's a lack of resources to treat or to house to a degree. And again, there's a lot of, I think, almost a Pollyanna-style naivety being applied. People saying they just need a job or they just need a house. And come on, if you meet a lot of those people in that condition, they've got some very serious issues going on. They're not in a condition to maintain a job or, or live in a house so they, and part of the problem is with housing homeless shelters they can't take guys in when they're stoned they can't take them in when they're a wreck so they do end up on the street and and there is nowhere else to go so i i don't I, one of the things i you know i think we could almost come up with is, is just some sort of shelter I, I know it would turn into a crime-ridden free-for-all but it takes it away from everywhere else just to at least so they're not freezing to death and, and they can have shelter and then start working towards the solutions of treatment and uh, mitigation of harm. I do believe safe consumption sites are a good idea. I mean, it, you can't treat them if they're dead. And if we, if we can avoid overdoses, you know, great, let's avoid that. And, and hopefully one of these times they decide, you know, they've hit bottom, it's time to get out of this. I mean, the, the odds aren't great, but for every person you can rescue from that, it's well worth it for everybody. But in the meantime, it, it's like you said, with the, the public park or with public transit or with other things, these just aren't appropriate places for them to be. And it, it is imposing on other people who pay for those services. So we, we've got to accept that we've got to move the, the, the troubled people somewhere else. I don't want to criminalize. That's where the debate goes a lot. People say, well, you want to start arresting people for addiction? No, not at all. But there are places that people in that condition shouldn't be. And, and public transit in some of those public parks are, are those places. I know you've said uh, or been fairly vocal on uh, some of this ridiculous defund the police movement. Now, again, I don't spend a lot of time in downtown Calgary. I live here in the suburbs. I love the city. Um, but in what you've seen, has there been, has the police presence changed? Are they uh, scared to do their jobs in any way because of this kind of bizarre political movement? I can imagine that they're going to feel more reticent on moving in anything because you, you can't win, right? Uh, you know, if, if somebody's video, if you've got somebody who's completely out of control on meth and you restrain them and you get too rough with them, uh, particularly if they're a minority and somebody's standing off to the side with a camera, you know what's going to happen. Uh, so they might feel inclined just, I'm not going to go into that part of town. I'm going to avoid that altogether. Uh, the thin blue line debates, you know, and uh, I've discussed with police officers, I've had uh, some on as guests. We had a column we ran from a gentleman who's a sergeant with the Calgary police. It's demoralizing. And and the, this de defund the police movement is like so many things. It's politicized. It's ideological. Uh, and it's, in my view, making things worse. Police do act out. Police do act inappropriately at times. Absolutely that happens. There are racist officers, but I still believe that that's the minority of them. And as you, as you keep demoralizing them, though, and pushing away good ones, it's only going to make it worse. I mean, what other problem on earth do you look at and say the best way to solve it is to defund it? You know, if teachers aren't doing well, you don't say defund the schools. If nurses aren't doing well, you don't say defund the nurses. Uh, we also don't have the I mean, again, there's still issues of racism, but I think it's almost a, a matter of trendiness. This came around from the Black Lives Matters protests. This came around from 
a lot of things that were happening in the United States. And, and I spent a good number of years working in the States. I related those stories on the show as well with some of the, the types of racism. And I saw it with police and, and citizens down there. That, but we don't have that here. Not, not like that anyway. And uh, activists have picked up on that. As I said, it's almost trendy. And have come down on the police, and and uh, the police just can't seem to win with anything they do, and and it's making the situation worse. As I said, they're probably avoiding some of these dicey situations. All of the police forces are having trouble hiring officers, and the, the ones who are on are going to be more stressed, uh, feeling less inclined to respect the people they're supposed to be protecting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, to I, I have my own uh, theories about you know defunding the police but uh that's a you know it, ultimately you would have some sort of private uh scenario in place before you started getting rid of oh, the city if, police if, if we want to talk about the libertarian <laughs> ideals i mean we can certainly go there i'm with you yeah no we'll we'll save that for a different show uh <laughs> but now again so like i say i live in calgary love the city uh been here on and off for 20 years it does seem to me like uh, things are getting worse with the homeless and the drug addiction and the violence. Um, you know, even in, I'm in the suburbs, and even five years ago when I was here, you didn't see this type of uh, sketchy people walking around here that I do now. Um, but again, since you know the city quite well, and I'm not really sure with what type of uh, programs the city or the province have in place to to either help these people or fix these problems. Um, maybe I'll get you to talk about that a little bit. And also, because I'd like to us to look into the idea of whether or not um, some of these programs or some of these policies have the types of unintended consequences that are actually making the situation worse? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's, if, the, if it's making it much worse, but I don't think they're doing as much good as a lot of people like to think they are, would be a way to put it. And there's a number of volunteer groups, the, the, the provincial government, the city government, there's a lot that are putting it in. I don't, I think everybody has the best of intentions here. Uh, there, there seems to be a politicized approach where the provincial government's focused on treatment, 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 and, and that's great. And they're adding beds, they're adding spaces, because again, it, once a person hits that point when they reach bottom, you want to make sure you get them fast and get them into treatment while you can. And if you don't have the space available, you could lose that opportunity. Uh, likewise, the, it seems another aspect of the politics that we're really focused on the uh, safe consumption and supervised consumption and providing free paraphernalia, or some are even talking about providing free drugs. And, and now, well... At the same time, I, I understand if you could give them clean drugs, if you can get them in a clean environment, you're going to reduce the overdoses. But this isn't moving them towards getting off it either. Uh, they're both, I think, both important. But we, we hang up on the others. And then there's uh, Alpha House. And those guys have volunteers, and they specialize in the ones who are in a bad condition. They have a detox center. It's They'll bring them into a room that's basically nothing more than rubber mattresses on a concrete floor just to get them to – to detox and straighten out a little bit when they're, when they're found in a spot in, in bad shape. And then they release them. And, and most often, unfortunately, they go back into whatever they were into. Uh, as for making it worse though, yeah, I, I think the, the safe consumption 
it, it's it's uh, it's similar to gun control, I guess you could almost look at it like the the, the there's some people they'll always put on the news and they'll show oh this is a single mother of three who needs her her hit every day before she goes to work and she'll go into the Sheldon Chumir and she'll consume in front of them and she, that way she's safe and she'll go to work and she'll finish work and she'll come back and she, that's the extremely rare uh, example. I mean, and, and, and you know the the law abiding and the few people who are sort of functional addicts they're going to use it. But we can see on the streets, the bulk are, no, they're not. They're in the alleys. I mean, um, I post pictures just, again, to show people how bad it's getting with the discarded syringes I find on the ground and things like that when I walk to the office. And I'm only 500 meters from a safe consumption site. So you you can't necessarily get them into these places either. I, I don't know if it's making it worse, but I don't think it's making it a lot better. And it's definitely making it worse for people living around it. And, and they get ignored. They get demonized a bit. When people complained in the Beltline when they brought in the Sheldon Schumer Center, crime shot up. You can't deny it. Uh, there were unsafe people wandering the streets. People could not leave anything out whatsoever any longer because the addicts were starting to congregate. And when you get them, the dealers follow, and the dealers aren't necessarily nice people. Uh, and the addicts, again, are looking for more means to get money to feed their addiction. And, and if they can steal, they will. As you said, in the suburbs, you're seeing more. And, and I've shown maps. You can see the property crime levels with shading. You can find them on the city of Calgary site. And they follow a perfect line with every LRT route, you know, going back about, uh, you know, half a half a kilometer or a kilometer from each LRT line because these troubled people, these are pipelines to bring them out into the suburban areas where they can steal items or they can get catalytic converters or a big target if they've got a portable grinder, uh, even just anything that's laying about. I mean, again, there are people who are, who are addicted and, and desperate. Uh but we, we've just got to start getting some realistic, you know, facing the problem. We, we have to have some empathy, but you got to temper it with reality and not forget the rights of everybody else while you're at it. And, and that gets forgotten. You can't shout down everybody as being insensitive or selfish because they're concerned about their, their household safety and security when, when they have uh, issues like this in their area. So we have one city councillor in particular in Calgary, uh, Dan McLean. I believe he's a mutual friend to both of us. I don't know him. I've had lunch with him a few times. I don't know him that well. Uh, but he's someone that's been fairly vocal about these problems, and he's been demonized because of it, basically. Um, it seems to me that it's a byproduct of this woke, politically correct culture. The one incident with Dan in particular, he posted something on Twitter about an incident that happened on the C train and he got a lot of flack for it. Um, so I guess, first of all, well, we've already discussed the C trains, but if you could maybe give me your thoughts on is, is this kind of political correctness and woke culture stuff, is it restricting our ability to have an actual conversation about the problems and the solutions for those problems? Absolutely. This is where it show where it actually gets harmful. Uh, Dan McLean did something that we don't see enough of. He got out of City Hall and got on a train and did a ride along with peace officers. He went there to see for himself. So he's not just talking about it. he's not relying on my tweets or anything else. He went out there himself. And like everybody else who rides that train, sure enough, an incident unfolded in front of him and he documented it. And, and I believe now um, I'll ask when I get the opportunity, his intention on tweeting, it wasn't to shame 
the person. Uh, the, the picture didn't even show the person's whole face. And that, that person was, as you said, somebody in distress. They were overdosed or, or just very inebriated or something. And then peace officers were intervening. But it was to drive home to other people to say, hey, look, if you don't ride the train, you don't go downtown. That's fine. But this is what we're talking about. This is what we see every day. This is the unvarnished, you know, uh, picture of what's going on on transit and what's going on downtown. And yeah, because of that, they shouted him down. Uh, the media, of course, was repugnant as always, and and talk about him being an insensitive and you know and embattled uh, politician and things like that. Like, no, hang on, open the bloody conversation, because if you keep refusing to even let people see how bad it is, you're not going to fix it. And and it was uh, predictable, but but terrible how he was treated for having done done that. And I'm glad he did it though, because you can't ignore it. It's getting worse. Um, it falls along the lines and part of my sympathies. I've, I've never been shy about admitting it. You know, I'm a 12 step graduate, uh, for, for, for my alcoholism. Uh, I've been sober for years now and the, the principles of that addiction apply the same with others. And it, it's that first step of admitting you have a problem, admitting you're out of control. Well, you know, that those life lessons from AA can apply do a lot of other things as well. And there's a lot of activists and there's a lot of people on city council who still haven't admitted there's a problem yet. And you aren't going to be on the road to the solution until you admit that. And mm -hmm. uh, McLean, I think, is forcing that issue. Yeah, absolutely. It it seems totally backwards in my mind because somebody who's, you know, you do have to bring attention to the issue first to, to do anything. And any city councillor that's going to pretend that this isn't happening just for the sake of political correctness, it, it, that seems like lunacy to me. Um, I, 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 I'll use, you know, I'm an opinion guy. I have a show. I'm a little rough around the edges. I'll just say that the, the prime city councillor who got on uh, Mr. McLean's case also wasn't among the most cerebral in the lot who thinks deeply into some of these problems and responded more on an ideological basis rather than a thoughtful one. Uh, so, I mean, again, whether meaning we're not understanding just the, the damage that's being caused by trying to shut down people uh, exposing these sorts of things, but uh, it, it just wasn't a good response on that person's part, but I don't expect good responses from that person. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Um, well, I don't expect a lot from from many of them, to, be, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and again, I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, they, they asked some valid questions. What what Dan McLean also proposed was, uh, you know, talking about possibly turnstiles or controlled access to transit and things like that. And others are saying, well, that's not going to do anything for the addicted and it's not going to do anything for the homeless. And, and they're absolutely right. It won't. But that's not what he's talking about as well. I mean, that's a big problem. It's a huge one. But for now, let's see about how we can clean up the trains because we can't just give them up just because the homeless have a problem and because there's addic addicted people out there, we have to recover it. And again, we've got to face that reality. The people on the trains who are acting out, who are doing this, didn't buy tickets. We know damn well they didn't buy tickets. If they've got five bucks together, they're going to go more drugs. If you at least stop that aspect, it gets them off the transit. That is a start, at least for the transit. I mean, transit is in Calgary is at 54% of the level it was before the pandemic started. It, it's not recovering. Like half the people have quit transit and safety is the number one issue. People say they won't do it. They don't want to get on there. They don't feel safe. So I'm glad that Mr. McLean's willing to at least uh, 
take it head on. So when we, when we're looking at these problems, um, you know, we have obviously there's, there's uh, disagreements in city council about, first of all, whether this is happening. Uh, and then how to manage the problems is sounds like it's a conversation a little ways off. And then also, like we talked about before, the police are maybe leery of, uh, you know, doing their jobs properly, again, for political uh, reasons. So where where do we go from here, Corey? Yeah, well, one of the areas is, is is addressing the police issue. Like, there's so many facets to this. So, uh, officers perhaps aren't as inclined to go downtown or into those areas, or even if they are, they they've got limited resources. We should be directing them there. I think it'd be more important to have a police presence in some of those high crime areas and trouble areas than than dealing with speeding tickets and fishing holes and around the city and things like that where they get directed. And and again, you see, it comes to that debate, that ideology. They said they say, well, what you want to crack down on these poor addicts, and and no. They're far. People are going to feel a lot safer if there's an officer at the end of the block when they're waiting for the train. It doesn't mean the officer is, you know, uh, enforcing on somebody or doing anything. Their presence alone will make people feel comfortable, and and it will, you know, disincentivize people from acting out. You're not going to get mugged when there's an officer right there on the platform with you. I mean, you've only got so many police resources, but you need more visible presence. You really do. Or security. I mean, they've done a degree of it on the stations, but private security or, or peace officers. So that that's one of the facets. And, and that means also setting aside that uh, that vitriolic anti-police uh, attitude that's permeating City Hall right now. That's uh, one of the areas. I, I mean, getting into the broader area of the addiction. Uh, one of the, it's like they kind of understand it, yet they don't. You, you, you see the minister provincially, it's called, you know, the minister, it's an associate minister of, of addictions and, and mental health, because those are very closely tied together. Uh, an addicted person needs mental health treatment. People who needed mental health treatment quite often, that's how they fell into addiction. They were self-medicating where, you know, with uh, sometimes illicit drugs that they're very harmful, when perhaps if they'd had better treatment earlier, they could have gotten on the proper medications to stabilize their lives and doing well. That gets into a giant area, and it's a, a touchy one for libertarians about uh, deinstitutionalization. And that's something that's been hitting all through North America for decades. We've moved on from, uh, you know, I, I mean, to be blunt, incarcerating the, the people who were, I guess you could say, uh, dangerously mentally ill and try to keep, you know, it's uh, again that I think naivety and in, in saying, well, if we just try enough community living, you know, and if we try these group homes, things like that, it'll work out because it's not. You know, they all envision one flew over the cuckoo's nest and, and as if that's how everybody was kept or something. And, I mean, for most people, that's the goal. You want to get them out. You don't want somebody locked in an institution. It's not a crime to be mentally ill. It's, it's, it's But a mentally ill person can commit crimes. So uh, finding that balance and, and you get people who uh, are, are, if they can't manage their lives, they end up on the streets. And, and that's bad for them. It's bad for people around them. So it's a, it's a huge and, and, and complicated issue. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I guess when we look at it from a libertarian perspective, it would, you know, the question I always ask myself is what, what would happen in the absence of the state, right? So say, again, 
you know, in the absence of the state, something like the the C train would be privately owned, and then the owner of that C train would then be able to enforce their rights as an owner of it. It things get sticky when. Uh, the city runs these things when the province runs them. It's not as cut and dry who actually who actually has the authority or who has the right to enforce uh, certain rules on there. Well, well, yeah, I mean, once the state owns something, people will assume and take it as a right of access then. Uh, so when you try to exclude people uh, who are problematic, whether it's from addiction or pretty much anything else, you can start to get the people screaming that you're infringing on their rights. If it's a if it's a private uh, enterprise, then in that case, there are people respect private enterprises. Uh, they should have that, that right to exclusion. Again, getting to the transit end of things, that would help. Uh, in a, a, you know, depends on the levels of libertarianism you get to with things in that, uh, uh, in a fully wide open world. I, I, unfortunately, I think Darwinism would just apply to a great degree on, on people who are addicted. And I don't want to see that. I, I'm not an anarchist. I, uh, I, I believe in very, very minimal, limited government, but I have that feeling of we, that, that obligation of taking care of those who can't take care of themselves. And I see addicts as people in that condition. Uh, when I talk to people, when I talk about the sympathies, because again, I, I do hear that. I do hear that. I hear it from some of my listeners and, and feedback I get from people say, yeah, I just let them go. They're just junkies. The world's better off. And no, no, they're people. And as well, I mean, if you're going to be cold and calculating and just worry about your own tax dollars, which is fine, I can respect a bit of that. Uh, bear in mind that still the most successful outcome you can have is getting one of those folks off of the crap and out there with a job because then they're not draining on the healthcare system. They're not draining on the justice system. They're uh, paying into the pot, uh, you know, as, as much as the pot's bloated already. They're productive. And as it sits right now to just let it go, well, no, you're going to pay for that even further aside from the, the aspect of wasted human lives like that. Uh, it's horrifically expensive to leave people in that sort of condition in society. I mean, the hospitals, uh, that, that's the other thing is the EMS, you know, response times are, are terrible. People are you know, dying of heart attacks waiting for an ambulance. One of the factors with the ambulances is that they're tied up on overdose calls all the time. And uh, that's taking up emergency room space, nurses, doctors. So the, uh, for people, uh, I guess, who are callous and see if you want to call it the right-hand side of things who just say, well, we should just leave it alone because it doesn't matter. Well, it's still going to get you. So mm -hmm. for, for your own sake, if, if nothing else, you should address this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, now, although you and myself, uh, you know, we might disagree a little bit on anarchism versus minarchism, I think we can both agree that a lot of these uh, the volunteer work, uh, the this, the charitable organizations that people are involved with out there on the ground trying to help these people are probably the most effective tool that we have. Now, are there any off the top of your head that have been doing uh, good work or better work than, than others? Yeah, I, I mentioned them earlier. They, they call it the, the dope team with uh, uh, Alpha House in downtown Calgary. Uh, those guys are, are volunteers. You know, they get some government funding, but for the most part, it's they rely on donations. And they're the frontliners. The, it, I think it stands for Drug Overdose Avoidance Program or something like that. And you, you see their minivans traveling around. You see them at the, the train stations all the time, things like that. But 
they're the ones you call if you see the guy completely out of control smashing himself into a brick wall or they're the ones you call if he seems to be freezing to death or uh, you know, in, in, in dire straits. And they will actually also go out and walk and do checkups in troubled areas where people have been prone to be found, you know, dead from overdoses or frozen to death. It's an ugly, tough job, but they really save people out there. And as I keep saying, you know, people say it's hopeless. It's not. There are some stories with some, some people who were very heavily addicted who managed to get out. And if they die prematurely, that of course that can't happen. So I, I can't say enough good things about the people who volunteer for that group. And, and it, the fact that it is effective is because it's mostly volunteer-based. It isn't a government group. You know, they get some funding, but no, they're hands-on. They just want to get the damn job done. They're not worried about the, the ideology, any other things like that. And likewise with treatment, uh, as I said, AA helped me. And the reason it did wasn't because of, uh, and it doesn't help everybody. That's, you know, different people have different things that help with them. But it's an association of other people in your condition, and you support each other. You help each other. You know where you've come from, you, you can, uh, uh, you know, relate with each other. And that's what makes it an effective, uh, at least ongoing, uh, you know, lifestyle program for some people to stay sober and clean. Again, not thanks to government, you know, government lets the run, which is an awful thing to think, but you know, they, they're an independent group. Um, and, and, and with a minimum amount of government, more groups will form because not everybody's heartless. They do want to help out. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, the world. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so again, I've been uh, obviously knowing you for a while. I've really been enjoying your uh, show at the Western Standard. Uh, tell me a bit about, uh, first of all, what's new at the Western Standard uh, and your show and where anybody listening to this can find you. Uh, sure. Yeah. Well, of course, if, if you really want to interact with me, especially where I, I like to get in the dirt so on Twitter at Corey B. Morgan on a direct level with the, the Western Standard, it's an independent media outlet. It's uh, uh, been kind of uh, brought back from to life uh, from the old incarnation. It was Alberta Report and then Ezra is right Western Standard. It was shelved for a while. Derek Fillerbrand uh, fired it up uh, about two and a half years ago with Dave Naylor and uh it's really taken off. It's filled a niche, you know, it's giving news content. That's a lot of what the basis of it is. There's opinion from me and there's my show on there. I do triggered every day live, you know, 1130 AM until uh, one o'clock or so. And we got Daniel Smith doing a show. We're, we're just, as far as a plug goes, Western standard dot news. Um, we've got reporters now in Ottawa and Saskatchewan, BC, Manitoba. We're, we're really expanding excellently. And it's because there's an appetite. People are tired of the legacy media. They really are. There's a void that they left. And, uh, you know, Derek can drive me bananas at a lot of times in a lot of ways, but he's, he's had a vision and I got to give him credit. You know, he saw the void and, and him and Dave put this together to fill it and, and it's just going really well. So we'll see where it goes. Yeah, no, that's great. I, uh, uh, well, I've been a supporter of the Western standard, uh, for a long time, but anyway, Corey, I want to thank you a lot for coming on. We are out of time. I hope uh, you'll come back again soon. Yeah, I hope so. It's always good talking to you. We're, uh, as I said, we got our differences in some policy areas, but we've got a, a lot of like mind going on as well. So. Perfect. Okay. Take care. Oh, thanks, David. That was Corey Morgan from the Western Standard. You can follow him on Twitter at Corey B. Morgan. And to make sure you never miss an episode of the Darcy Giroux podcast, subscribe on Substack. <laughs>